0: Well let's go ahead and get started. Um, we are on page twenty-one of your understanding biblical doctrine workbooks. Someone? her right there. Yes, yeah, you said her. See if you like one it
1: again. Yeah. I don't know. watching. Kirsty is.
0: Can you hear me now, Kirsty? Is that your phone? Yeah.
2: Okay. It's just a video chat.
0: Oh, okay. All right. So we are page 21 of our uh understanding biblical doctrine workbook. We are on the fall of man today, and we should be able to finish uh, lesson three this morning. <clears throat> so, before we get started, Chris, will you open us in prayer?
2: Dear gracious Heavenly Father.
0: Through our Lord and Savior Christ. Yeah. all right so uh just a brief recap to sh- to to lead up to where we are because you have to understand what happened uh previously to get to the fall um god created all things in the space of six days and it was all very good we Affirm a literal six 24-hour day creation. Um, To affirm else is to go outside of the bounds of Scripture. Um, And then we see, particularly looking at the creation of man, that man was created uh, morally upright that he was created in a state of uh, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Um, and historically, uh, the church has has held to this uh, teaching that there is a fourfold state of man, and and man was created in his first state, which was that he was able not to sin. And he was able to sin. Uh, Latin terms for that is uh, passe non pecare, able not to sin, and passe pecare, able to sin. Um, And so there we see man in that state uh, that he is able to sin and able not to sin. God created him uh, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, made in the image of God, uh, bearing the image, uh, which is what distinguishes man from the beast. Uh, and man has a living soul. Uh, man is not just body, uh, just physical, but he is a soul. He is physical and spiritual. So that's, that's where we've gotten to so far, but now we're going to see why it is that man is no longer in this original state of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness uh, in a state of moral uprightness. And that's because of the fall, the fall of man. Uh, here in our workbook, we're given a definition Adam, as the federal head of the human race, was created without sin, willfully disobeying God's prohibition. He brought sin's corruption into his very nature and has thus passed sin on to all his posterity. So that is the fall of man, that man uh, in his rebellion against God, brought sin into the world, and through Adam, sin has been uh, passed on to subsequent uh, generations. So let's look at the events of the garden that that brought about this fall into sin. So first, uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 2, and I'll read verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Uh, So here we see what is termed the probation of Adam. Uh, So, what exactly was Adam's probation? Looking at specifically verse 17, what is Adam's probation? Not to disobey God. Not to eat of the
1: tree of the knowledge of good and
0: evil. Yeah, not to disobey God by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, so the probation is uh, if you take the statement that God makes that you shall not eat of it, and in it, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. If you take that statement, that warning in this probation, uh, you have to understand that with that statement comes an a implied statement as well. So in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But the implied statement uh, that's in it as well is, If you do not eat of it, you shall not surely die, or you shall surely not die. Um, And so the probation of Adam uh, was to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to not disobey God, and if he were to fulfill that probation, he would be granted The privilege to eat, not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but of the tree of life, which was also in the midst of the garden. Um, And so that is that is man's probation, uh, that he is given this simple duty of obedience to God, and there is a blessing for fulfilling it, which is everlasting life eating of the tree of life and there is a curse which is death uh, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, I do like that our workbook puts in here in the, this little note there's no reason to consider that the tree was a magical tree um, I think that's important there, there are people who hold to this notion that, that the fruit itself had a magical property to it, a mystical property to it, which imparted the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, I think that is, uh, I think that's imposing mysticism onto the text. Um, There's nothing magical about this tree. Uh, What God did um, in, in meeting out the curse was not inherent to the tree, but was inherent to his command. The tree was a tree, and it was a probationary tree. That was it. Uh, The knowledge that was imparted to them wasn't because they ate the tree. It was because they sinned against God, and God took away that state of innocency. and so I, I think it's I think it's helpful for us to remember that that there's not something inherent about the physical tree that made it magical. Same thing about the tree of life. Um, the physical tree, the tree of life, is not some inherent magical tree. Uh, we see later in Revelation that it is it is Christ who we partake of freely and are given the crown of life Um, so it is Christ who is the spiritual tree of life uh, that we partake of and and that in recognizing that we see that the efficacy of these things is not found in the things themselves but is found in God himself so so,
1: let me rephrase that? What you're saying is that this tree was any old tree, and it might have been one of a hundred trees in apple but that one was singled out as a challenge to, 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 to Adam's obedience.
0: Yeah. So I mean, it, it could have been any type of tree. It could have been its own special fruit of a tree. We don't know. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't that the tree was special in any way, other than that was the tree that God selected uh, in order to be the probationary instrument in Adam's uh, trial. If that does that make sense to everyone? Uh,
1: did Adam and Eve gain knowledge of good evil after
0: us? Yes, because because God. Attached his promise to the act of eating that fruit. It was God who imparted the uh, the knowledge of good and evil unto Adam and Eve by removing their innocence, their state of innocency. Um, But it was because it wasn't because of the fruit that they ate. It's not like you know there are some people who think that it was a pomegranate. It's not like pomegranates. Inherently give you knowledge. Um, if that were the case, I would be eating pomegranates every day oh, I need knowledge. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't the fruit. It was because God said, "In the day that you eat of this, your eyes will be opened." Um. And you'll. Yeah. Yeah. They. They knew that that there was a there was an attachment there was an attachment of god's power to that fruit, uh, not because of the fruit but because of God placing that attachment of his word to the prohibition. and so God, who is a God who keeps his word, uh, could not fail in keeping his word, and so in partaking of it. He immediately had to dish out the punishment for it. And part of that punishment, well, the punishment itself was spiritual death, which was immediate. There was an immediate spiritual death that took place in Adam and Eve upon eating of the fruit. And that's why there was a, the state of innocency was removed. And that's why they were given the knowledge of good and evil. Does that make sense? Yeah. Any other questions about the pro uh, the probation period?
2: I guess it, um, one thing I was thinking, I was trying to reference, so I remember exactly where it's at, where um, you know it's the same thing mm-hmm. as By your faith mm-hmm. instantly. Same thing here. It was it, opposite, obviously, but it, it's the same kind of premise is that it was as soon as you eat this, yeah. as as you eat death. As soon as you touch this, you have life. Yeah. By, by faith.
0: Yeah, I, I, I like that. I like that converse analogy.
1: Yeah. because yeah, there are other people surely touched this.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, he's going through a big crowd of people. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There's no way his robe wouldn't have brushed against people. Right,
2: but, but but the one who had faith was mm-hmm.
0: healed. All right. Uh, so if we if if we all understand the probation, mm-hmm. then, then I want us to keep moving. Uh, well,
1: probation implies temporary. Mm-hmm. So it's not the permanent state so it's a probationary period so that's an interesting work that um, indicating something was
0: going to happen yeah Yeah, and and, and that's why most theologians argue that this was a temporary probationary period and that after an undetermined time you know we're not given in scripture, but after an undetermined time of perfect perpetual personal obedience on the part of Adam, then they would be—they would have passed the probationary period and been given the right to eat of the tree of life. So what, 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 what if
1: they <laughs> to serve the gold pound of sand?
2: Do you think that might have been passing the test right there? Yeah, think of uh, um, Abraham. When Sacrificing uh, mm-hmm.
1: uh, Isaac.
0: You know, it's like, yeah, as soon as he passed the test. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Um, I obviously think that that's what should have happened. Uh, not so much, you know, kick sand, but uh, I mean, I would say I would say that they should have struck the serpent dead, but I'm curious as to how that would have worked. I don't think it could have, because death came in through sin, so they couldn't have struck the serpent dead. Um but they certainly could have rebuked yeah, the that's serpent that's and kind of what I
1: was saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and that very well could have been what, what would have brought about the passing of the probationary period. Um, and I like the example you gave of Abraham, you know, when, when God tested him through the sacrifice of Isaac, once he showed that he was faithful, he passed that test, and God provided um, for him. He was no longer under that test, that probationary period, that testing. Uh, God provided for him and he was able to continue. Um, And so, you know, uh, very well could be. But the thing is, you know, I think I think it's okay for you to take part in some healthy biblical speculation. But I think we need to be careful not to get caught up on biblical speculation. Um,
1: Right. You can go what if, and what if, and what
0: if, and mm -hmm. really go astray. Yeah. So, Matt brought up the serpent. Uh, So we had this probationary period, and what brought about the ending of the probationary period and ultimately the failure of the probationary period was the deception of Eve and the sin of Adam through the lie of the serpent. Uh, if someone can read for me Genesis 3 and verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman you will, you will
2: not share
0: So, the serpent is taking the command of God, which was in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, and he is flipping it on its head and saying, "You won't die." Um. It. Uh. It is. It is this lie. Uh, that we see in verse one. Uh, that he said to the woman. Yea hath God said. And that's the lie. The lie is. Is challenging God's authority. It's causing question. Against the word of God. Hath God said. Is that really what God said. Um, and that is the lie. That brought about. This deception. You know. But, but Satan knew that he couldn 't uh, couldn 't just catch them with this lie. You know, there had to be a little bit more of enticement to it um, because these were people who were made in knowledge righteousness and holiness they were morally upright um, And so there had to be more enticement than simply has God really said. Um, And so we also see that he entices Eve with the fruit itself, that the fruit is pleasing to the eye and is good for food. Um, And so that was the serpent's lie. And the serpent's lie... No matter what it is, whether we're looking at Adam and Eve, whether we're looking at David and Bathsheba, uh, you know, we're looking at uh, Christ being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Or if we're looking at our own lives, the lie of sin is always the same, hath God said. Every Time sin tempts us, it is it has at its root the question, Hath God said? It's causing you to doubt what God has said. You know, it may not be so outright as what we see here in Genesis, but a temptation to sin. At its root is causing you to question the holiness of God. It's causing you to question the goodness of God. It's causing you to question the grace of God. Um, It's causing you to question the sanctifying power of God in your life. All of it is hath God said. Um, And I think that is. I think that is the deception of our age as well. Um, so many deconstructionists live by that phrase, "Hath God said? You know Why do you think people are challenging the historic biblical position concerning homosexuality? How are they doing it? By the, by the lie, by the deception hath God said. Did God really say that homosexuality is a sin? No, God didn't really say that. That word malachoy there, it doesn't actually mean homosexual. What it means is a soft person. You know, a young boy. It's, talk, it's talking about pedophiles. It's not talking about homosexuals. It's the lie hath God said. And so they start twisting and manipulating the word of God just as Satan did in the beginning. Uh, and, and I think we need to be aware of this, that this is, this is Satan's M.O. Um, from the beginning, Satan has always had uh, the deception of hath God said. He's always had the intention of stirring up doubt in the veracity, purity uh, of the word of God. Um, and, And it continues today. Any person who, when confronted with the scriptures, says hath God said... Or says, you know, that's not really what that means. Or says, you know, that's not really scripture. You know, we don't know if that's the word of God. Our earliest and best manuscripts don't have that verse in it. I think we got to be careful. I'm not saying that everyone who... Asks those questions or says those things is some agent of Satan, but the vast majority are, Um, and oftentimes it's an attempt of the evil one to stir up doubt in the in the people of God, just as he did from the beginning. So we got to be careful. Um, That's not to say never question anything. That's not to say don't ask questions for further clarification. But we must be careful uh, to not let the question hath God said enter into our minds and our hearts because that is the fastest route to apostasy that I've ever seen. Any thoughts on that? I know I kind of went on a tangent. Amen. Well, so there we see Satan's lie, the serpent's lie, uh, questioning the veracity of God. Um, and I told you that there's further enticement by, by the physical fruit itself, that it was pleasing to the eye. But S- Satan, almost always in his deceptions, adds a promise. It's a false promise, but it's a promise, um, and when we see that here in our text as well. Uh, Genesis three and verse five. Someone read that. Uh, verse five.
1: For God knows that when you meet subins your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and
0: evil. So there is the serpent's promise. It's taking uh, an aspect of the curse which is to be meted out upon them upon willfully disobeying. It's taking an aspect of that curse and making it into be a good thing. You know, you're not going to die. No, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know good and evil. You're going to be like God. God's trying to hide away this This magnificent thing from you. What an evil God he is. You know, there's this promise of a reward for sin. Every sin that we are tempted with, Satan tempts us with a lie and with a reward. You know, sexual sins. The, the reward that Satan tempts you with is immediate gratification, pleasure, or or cheating in the workplace. You know, the, the reward for that that Satan tempts you with is advancement in your career, more money. You know, I can cut these corners. I can... I can swindle these people in order to make my company more money, which makes me look better, gives me the promotion, and now I got more money. Every sin that we are tempted with is is presented with this false reward, but those rewards are—they're not rewards. They may seem it at face value and they may give you an immediate temporary fulfillment, but they're not lasting. And ultimately, they'll crumble. You know, your boss will find out that you cut those corners and now that reward that you've gotten is stripped away and you're fired. And now you can't find a job because every company recognizes that you're a cheat Or that uh, massage parlor that you went to, which brought you that sense of instant gratification and, and self-pleasure, well, then your wife finds the bill for that on your credit card, and that, that causes a rift in your marriage, which may ultimately lead to a divorce because of your uh, violating the Seventh Commandment. These rewards aren't rewards. They're temporary gains. But but the the truth of the matter is you're not going to be rewarded for your sin. Not in the way Satan is, is saying that you're going to be rewarded. No, the reward for your sin... Isn't temporary good. The reward for your sin. Is eternal punishment in hell. And that's what you will get. Uh, and that, that's what Adam and Eve got. Was, was spiritual death. The, the reward for them. Wasn't the reward. That Satan presented. Even though their eyes were open. They did know good and evil. But it wasn't this good thing. Like Satan presented it to be. No, their reward was eternal death apart from Christ. And so that is where we see uh, the deception of of Satan in, in deceiving Eve. Eve takes of the fruit of the tree, eats of it, and then gives some to her husband who is with her, and he partakes as well. And instantly, their eyes were open, and they knew good and evil. They saw their nakedness, um, and death, sin, and death entered into the world. Uh, in Genesis three eight, we see. Uh, actually, let's let's do three uh, seven and eight. We see that they recognize their guiltiness in the sin. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They knew what they did was wrong. So they tried to cover their shame, their nakedness, by making these clothes out of fig leaves. And they knew that they couldn't be in the presence of the Lord because they've sinned against Him. And He said He was going to kill them if they did. And so in their guilt, in their uh, fear of the Lord, they hide from Him. And we do the same thing. We sin and we run away from God. We don't want to be confronted by Him. Uh, oftentimes, it's after we sin that we then neglect the the spiritual disciplines for prolonged periods. You know, you're in the in the heat of sin, and because you know you're in the heat of sin. You can't face your Savior. You can't face your Lord. And so you neglect prayer. You never open your Bible. You don't meditate on the Word. And so you're hiding from God. You're attempting to hide from God to not be confronted with your sin. And that's what we see here with Adam and Eve. Uh, they are attempting to hide from God. <clears throat> well, we know that God cannot be hidden from. God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He is everywhere. Um, and so, one way or another, you're going to be confronted with your sin. Um, it can be in humble uh Contrition with a, with a broken and contrite heart, as the psalmist says. Bowing before God and confessing your sins. Crying out to him, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Or it can be in God, in his judgment, confronting you. Calling you out in your sin. And and if you are standing before the Holy God, being confronted in your sin on your own accord, on your own account, and all you have as your defense is your own self, then you will receive a just reward. And your just reward will be death, eternal death. Casting into uh, hell and ultimately into the lake of fire uh, where where the torment never ends. Uh, and, and so we will be confronted with our sins one way or another. And we see God does confront Adam and Eve and their sin. Um Someone read uh, Genesis three fourteen.
2: So the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because
1: you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field.
2: On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life."
0: So. Obviously, don't we don't we don't believe that the serpent itself was Satan, but that Satan was animating the serpent. You understand the distinction there—that snakes aren't the devil, but the devil used the snake. Um, and because of that, you know. Because of the snake's, the serpent's participation in uh, this deception in the fall of man, the serpent is cursed. Uh, The serpent is confronted in its act. Um, So what is the curse of the serpent?
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it is to be a cursed animal, a cursed creature, uh, cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. He's to He doesn't even get the dignity of walking on his legs, on his feet. He has to slither on his belly in the dirtiest of places. and and eat the dust of the ground, uh, you know, taking it in. You know, if you're crawling on your belly in in the dust of the earth, you're going to be taking that into your face as well, into your mouth, into your nose. Um, It's not saying that snakes literally eat dirt, uh, but that in their humiliation... Of having to crawl on their bellies on the ground, that even it'll seem as though even their food is dirt. Um, And so we see that there's a curse for the serpent. Um, Someone read verse 16. so what's the curse to eve eve was an active participant in this fall she was the one who was deceived by the serpent what is her punishment her curse Bring
1: children. Pain.
0: pain and childbearing what else yeah thy desire uh, thy desire shall be to thy husband and sh- he shall rule over thee um, part of the curse was this uh, this desire to subvert the authority of the created order um, God created man and woman with man as her head uh, and part of the curse because in the act of being deceived she did subvert her husband's authority by by you know going and taking on this action, this spiritual action on herself. Um and we'll get to Adam and his his fault in it as well. He's not blameless. Um, but her act was a, an act of spiritual uh, subversion of authority, usurpation of authority. Um, and so part of her curse is uh, her innate, there there will be a heightened innate temptation towards usurpation of authority in uh, the covenantal headship structure of the family and of the church and of society. Um, and we see this. Uh, we see this today. Yes, there are men who, who abuse their headship. Uh, absolutely. This hyper-patriarchal Uh, mentality uh, that's taken over many parts of uh, conservative evangelicalism uh, is rooted in an abuse of headship. Um, But I think far more often we see this usurpation of authority, uh, wives domineering their husbands, Making uh, vital decisions on their own without consultation with their husbands. Um, I think we see it in the church. Look at the PCUSA. If you can't see the usurpation of headship authority there, then you're blind. I mean, they've got women pastors. Uh, even worse than that, they've got lesbian. You know, feminism is a byproduct of this curse playing out. Um, And then in society, and I know this is going to be somewhat controversial, um, and I'm not saying you have to hold to this as well, but uh, women taking on authoritative positions in society is another example of this, I believe. Um, Scripture speaks of women ruling over uh, men in society as a cursed thing. Um, It's not a blessed thing. Uh, If you want to read more on that, read uh, John Knox's little work, the first... Uh, the first trumpet blast against the monstrous regiment of women uh, it 's written against Queen Mary, Bloody Mary of Scotland, who went on a reign of terror, killing all the Protestants. Um, Mary was out of uh, off of the throne when it was published, so it wasn 't received well by uh, by her sister so Eh. Anyway, but if you want to read on that position uh, from a Reformed perspective, I would recommend that. Um, but that is that is the curse to Eve. Uh, pain, Increased pain in childbearing. And then uh, to greater temptation towards the usurpation of authority. And then in Adam, and unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened... Unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I have commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return to the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Adam was right there with his wife in this deception. Um, and Adam's uh, responsibility in this was in not stopping his wife and not exercising headship. Um, And so part of the curse to woman in this increased uh, desire for usurping authority is to blame. uh, The blame for it is put on Adam as well because he just stood by idly. And then if you remember, Adam was given the charge to to keep and guard the the garden, to keep and and tend it. um, And the Hebrew word there, shamar, is to protect To protect the garden. And by allowing this intruder. By the serpent. To come in and to wreak havoc. In the garden. Adam failed to keep and protect. The garden. Uh, And so part of his curse. Is that. Now this task. That was supposed to be a joyful one. Is going to continue. You know. It's not that you no longer have to keep. and, And. And. Guard, it's not that you don't have to keep and tend uh, the earth, uh, subduing it. No, it continues. You still have to do that. But now there's going to be an increased uh, struggle. Thorns and thistles are going to rise up. And your your labor is going to be in vain in certain times. Um, You're going to have to work for your food. No longer is there just going to be this beautiful tree, these beautiful trees given unto you for you to eat of any of them freely. Now you've got to work for it. Um, and so we see in these punishments that God did uh, find out the sins of those involved, that He did confront them in their sins. Uh, but Genesis 3.15 gives us the promise the promise of redemption and I will put enmity between thee speaking of the serpent and the woman and between thy seed and her seed shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel here we see that the serpent the deceiver Satan Will be destroyed. And we know that comes about through Christ. And so we we see here is Adam in the garden, but later on, you know, 4,000 years later, we see a second Adam, one who does pass his probationary period. One who does fulfill the commands of the Lord perfectly, who doesn't neglect his duties, one who loves his bride perfectly and does not stand by idly so that she could be deceived, and one who ultimately deals the decisive death blow against Satan through his death on the cross. He Crushes the head of the serpent, but at great cost to himself, the serpent strikes his heel. Um, And so we see this second Adam who is in Christ. And uh, really quickly to finish this off, turn to the next section. Um, I want us to to close this out with looking at Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12, and here we see the setup of the the two Adams. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of, Of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come, but not as uh, the offense. So as so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded until many. And not as it was by one that that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Jesus Christ. Here we see that distinction between the first Adam and the second. The one man, Adam, by him death came into the world. By his sin, death reigned and death was, was given unto all men because all men have sinned. Uh, all men have fallen, shor- uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And so it is through Adam that death enters into the world and death unto all men. But it is through Christ that forgiveness comes and life is given unto the many. Uh, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus And so uh, we have in the beginning, you know, I talked about the fourfold state of man. We have in the beginning that man was able not to sin and able to sin. Passe non pecare and passe pecare. In death, in in the fall, man lost his state of innocency and uh, entered into a new state of not able not to sin. Non passe, non picare. That all he could do is sin. Everything that we do outside of Christ is tainted by sin. In our sinful nature, in our fallen state, everything we do is tainted by sin and it is therefore sinful. Uh, but in... Christ in Christ forgiveness of sin is given and we enter back into that state wherein we were uh, prior to the fall where because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ we can now not sin But we also have the ability to sin. And so that's where this leaves us now. Uh, So I want us to leave off remembering, recognizing uh, that it is through the first Adam that sin came and reigned in this world. But it is through the second Adam that life is given unto Those who put their faith in Christ. Uh, Any other uh, last minute questions or comments concerning the, the fall of man? yeah yeah scripture scripture speaks in federal terms and if you if you do not have an understanding of federal headship then you won't understand uh, the depth of this doctrine um, that Adam was our federal head and that in him we have all sinned because he is our Is our representative, our federal head, but those who are in Christ now have Christ as their federal head. And it is because of his obedience, just as our federal head's disobedience in Adam uh, brought us death, our new federal head's obedience is credited to us and it gives us life. Any other thoughts? Bob, will you close us in prayer?
1: Lord, we thank you for this day. A day to set aside and worship you. Lord, we rejoice in that we can be in your house this day. Lord, we thank you for the lesson on who we are. Man is a sinner fallen in need of repentance. Lord, thank you for the... uh, i message that that brings to us about our own needs for you. So, Lord, as we come together to worship you in a few minutes, be with us, Lord. We thank you in Christ's yeah.